grounds to be able to give them warnings. I can't remember what the warning Oh, you can't make genetic weapons. Um, so the CIA was trying to kill off dark-skinned people back in the 60s, and they were working on viral weapons. And now the government has your family line DNA that creates specific viruses that would kill off your genetic line. So I gave them a warning, since I'm related to everyone in the world, don't lose my DNA sample because you'll be killing yourselves. <laughs> That's but anyway, you, you were talking about neuro neuroscience. And, um, no, I do not know how to change those people. They're so brainwashed into false patriotism, radicalism, uh, that uh, I don't think there's any coming do you think they think that this is, you know, obviously when I look at what uh, the kind of weapons, you know, because I look at non-lethal weapons a lot, I'm trying to understand the whole history, etc. Remember, um, these are dial-in so you got to be careful. Non-lethal means they cannot kill, like maybe pepper spray. Uh, these type of weapons can make you kill yourself or others or harm yourself, so they're dial-in information. That's really interesting because these are non-lethal neural weapons, you know, which actually are also psychological weapons. Yeah. I know they're called psychotronic weapons as well. Yeah, right? so it's an indirection of murder. And so they, again, the lawyers have to give it get involved. Well, technically, we didn't kill them because we talked them to their death. In fact, that's what You can fight voices in someone's head. I will find a way to talk them to their so they're dialing all these psychological weapons, torture weapons. I mean, it covers a broad range, broad spectrum of language that we have settled on. Correct. And, you know, it seems to me, just looking at all of this, that the people who are developing these weapons and continuing to use them and continuing to maintain secrecy in order to use them appear to imagine that um, there is going to be no future without these weapons. These weapons are the future. They're going to continue. Uh, and unfortunately, they're right. I treaties on uh, regulations and watch groups, but um, everyone agrees these these kind of weapons are better than nuclear weapons or. But who is everybody? Not everybody in the world. No, no, but see, that's the problem. No one's in this discussion because they won't tell anybody about what we've done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a small little circle. You know, it's, it's like... a small little circle. That's it's like the round, round table. table. Of the Illuminati, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's them. It's not <laughs> us, you know. I mean, if they ask us, you I remember you quoting 95% of the world earlier. 95 to 98% of humanity simply say no. I think it's only the 2% who want to control everybody else who think these weapons are great because they involve taking over the brain, you know, and they take over the body. What and is biohacking mean? and neurohacking, who wants yeah. that? Well, what does government mean in Latin? Governor, to steer men of the mind, to control the mind. So, you're talking about getting rid of government all they got. If this is the greatest weapon. <laughs> You will vote for me and enjoy it and think you're free. <laughs> it's 
it's incredible, you know, and it seems to be, and of course, talking to other people, they, they say that the only way to uh, combat this weaponry is to develop yourself spiritually and kind of lead in that way. Yeah, yeah, and that, that actually is true. You purify yourself. They use the seven deadly sins, for example, to manipulate uh, You can purify yourself from those. They have no levers in which to control you. Oh, um, I see. Very interesting. So, so there is truth. And the other aspect to it that I just wanted to mention is the whole issue of neuroethics. You know, that has become a field now, neuroethics and bioethics. Although it appears that it's... It exists. 20 years, but it's yeah, but it's still questionable as to what that field is doing. I mean, who's running the neuroethics? If you look at Dr. James Giordano, he yeah. is a military neuroscientist. He's very yeah. vocal. He gives a lot of lectures. We see his videos on YouTube. University and hey, he's running the neuroethics department at Georgetown. What the oh, heck does that Georgetown. mean? Okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How does a military neuroscientist get to run the neuroethics department at Georgetown? Yeah, it does seem like a conflict of interest, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, there will be other leaders who step forward that I might be more Everything I've heard from them seems right. So, you know, I'm not going to. Um, well, I'm grateful to him for having spoken yeah. out because yeah. he has published to the world the extent of the integrated scope of this horrific neurotechnology that's currently in use, you know, by the DOD and by the DOJ. Because he's talked about predictive neurotechnology as well. So he's done a lot of talking, he's doing a lot of public speaking, he's actually literally putting the information out of plain sight. Sure. But you know, the question is, how ethical is this information? Because he's talking about it as an inevitability. We have this neurotag, we have this neuroweaponry, we're going to use it, etc., etc. You can never take, uh, once we have discovered fire, you never take that technology. So we have to find a way to trans. Uh, move forward and maybe once we understand the whole public everybody understands this technology you will get accelerated education you don't have to waste millions of dollars in 30 years of your life and have that information right in your brain and all the good things that may come from it maybe society will agree to it individually they will join the hive mind but don't steal minds, don't steal brains, don't be doing this horrific human maximum pain torture stuff that they're doing right now uh, and to try to shape pol politics by creating uh, people here, voices to go shoot up schools and etc. So you want to take away the gun rights of your country, uh, stimulus response voters get pressure to the politicians. That's so old school. I don't know if they really were that dumb, but I, maybe we are. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, you know, I guess once something has been created, you can't uncreate it. No, you can't. I mean, but, what are you going to do? Burn books? Purge computers? Kill people who know that information? Yeah, you can't the knowledge. But you can, you can regulate, as you say, yeah. you know, you can regulate. I mean, this is what Princess Diana was trying to do with the landmines, you know, to get the world to ban landmines, etc. And uh, I don't know to what extent she was successful, people that she was killed, but... Um, well, yeah, or depleted uranium. 
Section 215 of the Patriot Act is coming up the vote in March and 15. Um, so pressure your senators to make sure they do, they do not allow it to proceed. Now, I can't remember if that's a positive vote or a negative vote, but say do not allow the Section, Section 215 to be renewed, right? Renewed, correct, correct. Yeah, I think it came up in 2015, and I remember, you know, posting petitions, writing impassioned notes on my website, telling people, call your senators, you know, yeah. not to renew. And of course, they renewed it in 2015. Yeah. Well, you know, when they did it, uh, they renewed the Patriarch while Trump was being impeached. You know, everyone's distracted by that. So they use all these techniques to make sure the public doesn't know that they're really up to it. You know, grabbing for power, money, insider trading with all the senators. Our government's so corrupt, it's out of control. But uh, we need to end this, and maybe we'll have another one again. I hope so. Thanks very much, Robert. I think that's great advice to end on, and, you know, we understand the corrupt. The senators are corrupt, the Congress is corrupt, but you know, it's it's our voices ultimately that's, that can make a difference. And we'll, right, so let's spread, focus spread on the positive, the right? Yeah, and focus focus uh, on the positive and on a positive note, and you know, each of us take, take steps, speak out, you know, be public about your dissent to the Patriot Act, Section 215, let senators know your thoughts, etc., and perhaps there will be a change, and that's the first step. And there are many other steps, no doubt, that each of us can take. On that note, uh, Robert, thank you again so very much for doing this interview at short notice. Oh, actually, we arranged it for a couple of weeks, I think. But thank you for making time tonight. Thanks, everybody, for watching, and we'll see you again very soon. Bye. Cheers. This Sunday, a risky business. Social distancing must continue. Our economic shutdown cannot. Some states reopening their economies.
who are going to update us on the um, outcomes of the targeted uh, individual survey, which they launched in 2017. And um, on the steps that uh, they are going to take, uh, you know, or we're going to take after that, I don't really have to introduce to the targeting community. Um, to those of you who are new, Uh, Bill Binney is the former technical director of NSA. He was um, the person who devised and designed um, a lot of uh, the majority of the programs that are using today. Uh, Kirk Weeby is a senior intelligence, intelligence analyst who has been with NSA, I think, over 30 years, Kirk. Is that right? That's correct. And uh, Kirk and uh, Bill uh, were working together on something that's called thin thread. And for those of you um, who don't know, ThinThread was uh, an encrypted way of monitoring uh, the internet uh, transmissions for terrorist activity and criminal activity that preserved everybody's privacy. So the data as it was being collected was encrypted and not even the analysts within NSA could actually look into the data, look at the um, identities of people. So things like logins and other nefarious activity was not possible, and this software thin thread was completed and deployed, I think in January 2001, and was then, I think, deactivated by NSA management, as I understand. And the uh, very sad thing is that um, thin thread would actually have picked up the terrorist activity that led to 9 11 and the mass murder of um, thousands of people. So, welcome, uh, Bill and Kirk, and I have to say thank you. From, you know, from my heart and thank you in the name of the targeted individual community for getting into the topic of uh, the targeting program and running the survey. I, back in the day, that was a big, big spark of hope, you know, for all of us. So, uh, who would like to start? Kirk, would you like to start and give us some background on what you have been doing? Yes. Sure. Thank you, uh, Catherine, for that kind introduction. Um, Bill and I. Uh, many of you already know, um, began looking into the targeting issue a number of years ago. About it prior to about 2016, but really hadn't um, talked to enough people that had experienced it, hadn't really researched it. But I would tell you this, even back then, Bill and I, based on our experience with the government, knew that uh, very high frequencies were being used in various capacities to either eavesdrop or on or target, meaning harm, causing harm to people. Um, 30 years ago, we knew about that. What we did not realize is that it seems, based on the survey and um, other anecdotal information to have grown uh, in, in its um, effect globally. 
so that now it's far more advanced. And when we do go out and research the topic of directed energy, we find even DOD, Department of Defense documents, that will mention it. They won't give you a lot of detail, but they do acknowledge experimentation. And since then, we've even read articles about other countries developing these kinds of weapons uh, for crowd control. And, uh, you know, the only difference between controlling a crowd and killing a crowd is how, how much power does the energy deliver to the target. So um, we've uh, come quite a, quite a long way in the last four or five years and are here to, uh, we're here to address next steps. Bill. Yeah, that's uh, our... Actually, with your own eyes being yeah. uh, attacked in front of you. 
So, you know, it's, it's basically, I think the first thing that all the victim community need to realize is that both um, you and, and her are very aware of what's going on. You know um, that people are being attacked and are being targeted. I mean, Bill really saw it with his own eyes. And uh, we were trying to collect evidence of these attacks as they were occurring. And I think we also succeeded and that will be submitted in my court case. But also what, what we all know is that the scale of this is so much bigger than the attacks on just on me or just my witnesses. Um, so one of the things I would like to say is, and I would like to ask your, your experience with this, but when I first came into the targeting community, I had basically two fundamental problems in trying to communicate with other on. Number one was that a lot of victims do not have the technical background because they couldn't have it. It's classified technology, but they don't have the technical background and the scientific um, education to really be able to pinpoint and articulate what's being done. So it took me a long time to disentangle all the different uh, modes of attack. And the second uh, problem that I had, and I, I, you know, I guess that your survey might also have suffered from that, is I detected um, intelligence agents and their botnets or email farms spamming me with essentially garbage to try to muddy the waters, to try to make it more difficult for me to get genuine victims and find out what exactly were the genuine symptoms and the typical modes of attack and what was just made up nonsense that kind of resembled a targeted um, individual that wasn't really such. You know, is that something that you also found in your survey that it was very hard to get through? Uh, yes, uh, uh, a lot of the things that I had done, I, mean, I went through an awful lot of the emails trying to figure out what could contribute to a case, you know, what would be substantial evidence for to put into court, and what would be uh, tangible to show and prove the. Uh, Prove what's really happening, but you know, even I would say, even what's happening now, you can get symptoms of it, indications of it, but you can't really yet focus in on. We don't even know the technology to do that. But we're certainly trying different things. I think that uh, the idea behind it is, as we discover things, uh, we'll try to disseminate them. But uh, this is not going to be easy, even for us, uh, who have uh, scientific, like Catherine, you're a particle physicist with a PhD. In I have a mathematics degree, you know, and Kurt is a linguist and analyst. Even our uh, our abilities are—it's really still difficult for us to do. So it's not, I mean, we're not saying that this is something that uh, the average person can really deal with. I mean, it's, I think it's beyond anybody's capacity. Uh, even the even the, for example, if they're using pulse things, meaning multiple frequencies, a very short pulse. Uh, then you need something like a wide-band stare at the spectrum that goes through the spectrum to find all the spikes. That's not a cheap piece of equipment. And nobody, nobody in the commercial environment. I mean, there, there, there are things that are sold commercially, but they are not cheap. And so it's not something that individuals can really afford to do unless you're relatively rich. You know? Well, and, and I would add to that, Bill, that uh, and Catherine, that. When one looks out at the world of uh, uh, detection, energy detection, by far the majority of detectors on the market focus on frequency.